We want to welcome all of our listeners to another episode of MRP, Minority Report Podcast, with Eric and Carell. Each episode, we talk with leaders in business, tech, and media. And today, joining us is Mr. Chris Contreras, who is Chief Customer Officer at Mountain. Let's jump in and get to know Chris. Chris, welcome. How are you doing? I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me again. Excellent. So for those who don't know you, can you tell us a little bit about where you're from and tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah, definitely. So I'm actually born in Georgia, but grew up in Miami. So I'm back here, moved back 12 months ago. I started my career in finance all but 12 months of my life and then moved into the (laughs) publisher world. I actually worked for Univision. I see some old colleagues in the room and moved to New York almost 12 years ago and was with NBC for a little bit and then went on to the tech scene. I was at a couple of startups, was at Snap pre-IPO, and then have been focusing primarily over the course of the last eight years, running global customer success organizations. And most recently have been at Mountain. It'll be two years now in May. We're a performance CTV platform and I run their entire existing business. Excellent. I want to ask you a little bit more about your career because you've had a tremendous career working at great companies, publishers, media companies. Tell us a little bit about who you are, your yeah. family, and where your family comes from. Tell us a little bit about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So I'm the middle child of three boys, and both of my parents are Dominican. My father came here when he was 17, taught himself English, went to NYU undergrad, NYU medical school, and then joined, enlisted in the Navy, and was a Navy sergeant for eight years and then went to practice medicine. After my mom moved here right before, like two years before my parents got married, she's an architect. You know, I come from a I'm first American-born family member, and I had a really good experience growing up because both of my parents were educated. And it's an interesting dynamic coming up in the household that you have to live up to like a father who taught himself English and went to medical school. So it's an interesting perspective to kind of balance. I actually went to undergrad for, I had two majors, biology and a minor in mathematics and chemistry and then finance. And I chose business much to my father's excitement because he's like, don't go into medicine. Don't ask me why. (laughs) (laughs) Chris, I want to switch the topic a little bit and and bring it back to leadership as Lynn said in, in her opener, right? Like part of the theme today is about leadership, career growth and development, right? And you have built a successful career in customer success. You've built a successful career in recruiting and developing talent and building great teams. Can you talk a little bit about like what is your approach to leadership? Definitely. I would say if you ask any of my team members in the past, currently, I'm a servant leader and I'm through and through a servant leader. I had a pretty horrible experience earlier in my career with leadership. And I vowed the moment that I would become and had the opportunity and the privilege of leading folks that I could help cultivate an atmosphere where folks understand what it takes to move from a junior role to a more senior role in their area of expertise. And one of the things that I focus for, I'll use a real life example. When I joined Mountain, there was really no difference between like a director, a senior CSM, a CSM, an operations person, a support person, a technical account manager. Mm -hmm. And what that leads is just this area of 
time-based like promotion where folks don't really understand like the hard and soft skills that are necessary to move up. And then also providing an, op- an avenue and opportunity for folks who are already in leadership, especially in the publisher world, where you can stay as a director or VP for eons. Right. And then what's that next move is not very clear. My goal was always to provide like kind of that canvas. I call it a career lattice. Mm-hmm. And it's a blueprint so that folks can understand and I can put people in positions that number one, they're uncomfortable with, which is usually the area, their areas of weakness. Yeah. And then secondarily is provide them just a path to understand what soft skills they can continuously work through. I didn't have this opportunity, so I had to kind of build it my own. Right. In the publisher world, like I, I started in ops from a BI perspective. I moved into strategy. I ran ad ops. I ran account. I ultimately was revenue operations senior director mm-hmm. before I left the publisher world. And I had all these teams under me. I hadn't no historical experience leading those teams prior to that. Right. So I'm kind of like carved my own path to get to that point. And it's challenging my perspective. And that's what I'm doing for my teams as right, well. Right, right. And, and what's interesting about that, you know, to your point, carving your own path, right? I'm sure you've received some tremendous ad- advice uh, along the way, right? Yeah. Can you give us an example of some of the best advice that you've received in terms of, you know, how to move up in your career or how to grow as a leader? Yeah, you know, one of my most memorable, and I still, I'm like, he's a mentor of mine. Some folks in the room who worked at Univision remember him. Charlie Echeverry was the CRO for Univision Digital. He's a servant leader through and through, but he's almost more of like a personal mentor type of leader where he provides you the guidance you need, gives you enough slack for you to kind of like figure out like what you need to do. And his feedback to me early was like, be as agile as you can be. Because I'm like, in this space, how fast this industry moves, we all hear it all the time. I'm going backwards 14 years ago. It's like, it was a year mobile. We heard that for like seven years. And then it just flipped over to it's a year mobile still. (laughs) But things were evolving rapidly. You know, you had, I'm like, I remember we used to have on-premise like uh, DFP and then we went to DFP premium and it was just all these changes that I wasn't even used to using these tools all the time. And I just started becoming more and more like a sponge. And his feedback was be a sponge, be agile, and don't get stuck in a certain place because it will prevent you from kind of learning more mm-hmm. and expanding in the areas that you want to expand in. I take that feedback and I consider it like gold consistently. Gotcha. Gotcha. I recently read a stat that said that companies with great leadership outperform other companies by it's something like 13x, right? Because I guess, the, you know, the teams they've built, so on and so forth, right? Give us an example of throughout your career, whether it's you as a leader, the company that you're working for, or your specific team, where you've seen the impact of leadership and great teams have helped companies really thrive. That's a good one. I'll use my current team as an example, and it's not just because it's a current like thing that's easy. When I started, it was May of 2021. And as everybody knows, during COVID and when folks were starting going back to the office or working remote, there was a mass exodus. Folks were leaving roles, joining other companies, and people were overpaying for talent. And in the last two years, I've lost one person from my organization. And that's not because we're paying more than every other place. It's because we've set this structure where folks understand like where they are in their own individual career. Mm-hmm. The secondary part to that is I've purposely challenged my leadership to hire folks outside of the ecosystem that we normally hire. So I have folks that are top performing 
in my team that came from the hospitality sector, never touched ad tech, ever. They weren't in the publisher world, but it provided an opportunity because their hard and soft skills are dealing with customers on a consistent basis that are either very frustrated or easily like moved into a, a different area of their challenge for that day. So I can teach folks the ad tech. I can teach folks the approach from like a customer journey. I can't teach them to be customer people. Mm. And I feel like that centricity I can find in different sectors. So I was a founding member of a group called Success in Black. And we created a, a network in the Black community to provide opportunities for folks to join the customer success like sector. And that's where we started getting really good talent. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and I'm seeing the team. I'm like, we are doing about 250% year-over-year -year growth for the last two years in revenue. Wow. And wow. from a base, right, sub 100 million, over 350 last year, like we're like growing fast. And it's a testament to this, the group that we're building wow, and the team and the talent that we're bringing in that it's just hungry to learn more and be that sponge and expand. Yeah, let, let me ask one more follow-up question to that. So you're going outside of the industry to bring people in that have the skills that you need to build your customer success team, right? I have to imagine, though, within that, you've got to have a great foundation for a training program to onboard yeah. folks, right? Because they don't have the history of ad tech, right? They need to learn that piece of it, right? Some of the skills are transferable. Can you speak for a little bit about like, what is your onboarding process of a new employee look like? So at Mountain, the one piece that I know personally having come on board is we have a, an excellent enablement organization. I'm like, and they're made from different parts. So we brought folks from online universities who happen to be very good at distributed workforces. We're fully remote business. So we had to double down on the ability to bring folks on board that weren't in a physical location, which is hard. To be honest, we have classes. Like last week, I spoke at our onboarding new hire class. The first week is pretty scheduled. And in that session, we had 13 people and they were distributed across the United States. It wasn't like high concentration in New York, LA, et cetera. It was like all over. We had folks in Spokane. I'm like, we had folks, uh, one of them was dialing in from Columbia. It's one of those pieces where we create this environment that it's easy and repeatable process. The secondary piece is my leadership team made a concerted effort on figuring out like what are the specific characteristics in the training program and regimen that we want to tailor towards the new hires. Mm -hmm. For some, we hire very experienced folks in ad tech who I don't have to train anything but the platform and the nuances that our platforms have. But for the others that are coming in from a different industry, we've established a pretty good cadence. It's both, we call it in-person, but it's on Zoom kind of training. So like player coach scenarios that they can actually talk through situations and also like e-learnings that we've established. And that continues to evolve. Like right now we're doing our entire customer journey revamp and those folks are part of that planning process. So the, yeah. the best part is it's not like leadership imposing a training program. It's the folks who are on the ground doing the work, helping create the future evolution of what that program looks like. So we have buy-in from the people on the street. Because I, I feel like you come into these businesses and you're like, man, this is like, I know this stuff. Or it's the opposite. It's like, this doesn't even make sense to like my day-to-day. -day. Like, why am I even learning this stuff? Hmm. So it's like hearing from them was very important. Thank you. That's very helpful. And I think a lot of organizations, you know, talk to Corral and myself just about where they may struggle or where it's hard to build sort of a program internally. So I, I wanted to ask you about 
your leadership style and how you make sure inclusivity is part of that. Can you tell us a little bit about, yeah, about that? I look, I think th there are two things. And one of the pieces that I've been very mindful of is I don't want to use DEI as a marketing tool. I want to use it as part of the DNA strand that any business that I'm in runs with. So if you actually go and Google our company, we have no banners, nothing promoting the DNI efforts that we're doing because we do it naturally through the day-to-day -day business. That's one piece. I don't see the value in just showcasing something for a period of time. I want to see the consistency of that in the thread of what we do, yeah. how we recruit, what events do we go to, what do we sponsor, the leaders in the, in the organization doing their own due diligence and spending the time in their own way. And that's a consistent beat of the drum. So that's one piece. A secondary piece is I focus on, I kind of mentioned a little bit around like the recruiting aspect within mm -hmm. my organization. Like we have to break these barriers of like barrier to entry on like experience and like schooling and stuff, which I, I was reading a study in the Harvard Business Review where it showed, and I'm going on the female talent minority that there is in the ad tech space. Mm -hmm. And it's something around like, for any specific role at manager level or above, women apply at a 56% less rate when they have similar qualifications to mm -hmm. a man. And the reason they do is because a man thinks that they can apply regardless of their background and uh, how it's written. Women look at it and say, that's not me. So like we have to remove like those, even, even those small little barriers on like old school, like you got to have five to 10 years of experience. That's a huge window. Yeah. Like absolutely. what's the difference between a person who has five years of experience and a person who has 10 years of experience? I'm like, and some of them are even bigger. That's like five to 15. I'm like, really? Like such a wide aperture. You're going to remove that. No one's going to pick the person with five years, yeah. but that person may be the best fit for that role. And it's getting that type of acumen established in the job setup. And then recruiting, we don't recruit for color. We recruit for talent. There and we go. look at places that normally are miss, are folks are not aware excellent talent sits in. Now, I have to imagine that there's a lot of internal discussion at times yeah. where you have to point out very specific things for leaders to sort of like understand internally. Is that is that accurate? A hundred percent. I am the only, with the exception of a company we acquired, Max Effort, it's me and another gentleman, but the only people of color on leadership. And... It's a struggle, you know, like it's one of those things where I had to fight and scratch and claw my way to the C-level. I'm like, I've been passed up over the last five years for senior leadership positions because I don't look the bill yeah. and I don't fit the bill, you know, for many instances. And that's real. Yeah. And I'm in this position now and I'm my goal, as it was in my previous senior roles, is to bring a chair for someone behind me and ensure that when I leave, that there's opportunities right for everybody else. Yeah, and, and I want to stay on that point about, you know, you're in the C-suite now, right? And you talked earlier about your career through revenue operations, account management, so on and so forth, right? What do you think has been sort of the springboard for your career in getting to the C-suite, right? Because I, I always look at career growth and development. As an individual, there's two things that are super important in that, right? Your ability to manage up and also your ability, as you said, to build a pipeline behind you. So that way, when you do move up to the next level, there's someone there to take your, your role. How have you navigated that throughout the course of your career? A great question. So I think one of the biggest pieces, I think it's a preventer of you moving into senior leadership is the executive leadership team doesn't feel that if something happens to you, that there's enough coverage behind you, that you haven't built that 
like kind of like team up right. from a support structure. So like in my current function, I purposely looked at the organization and I handpicked a couple of folks to continue to groom them as they move into their mm-hmm. more senior roles. Like we had folks, and one specific person on the team, her name is Rachel. I'm like, she was a senior director for years. And I'm like, I came in, I want to understand like what's preventing her from moving into that VP yeah, role. Right. And at my company, we're pretty flat. So I can count with one hand how many VPs we have. So like, it's a big role and it requires approval from the board mm-hmm. and everything. So it's not like, you know, we just are handing out titles yeah. in our company. So I promoted her at the end of November, and it was a, a no-brainer for the leadership team. It was an 18-month progression right. to get her in that position yeah. of exposing her more to leadership, giving her core projects that were her ownership fully mm-hmm. and require minimal guidance, and her ability to create relationships and cross-collaborate with other leaders yeah. in the business. I think you just answered my next question <laughs> because I think a challenge that some folks face in their career moving forward is they get boxed into a a specific role and and job. And how do you make sure like your team doesn't get boxed in so that they can grow, right? Yeah, it's a good one because for example, we had for like Rachel specific, she oversees the, our technical side of the customer engagement. So we have an onboarding organization. We have a team called Platform Experience. And then we also have Platform Experience Managers, which are different in different ways. They're almost like, if you think about it in your traditional, they're like the technical account manager to the CSM. So they're working in parallel, creating a great user experience. In that world, it was very much, she was pigeonholed to like just Mm -hmm. the support Mm -hmm. and they Mm -hmm. called it support. And I'm like, it's actually not support. I don't have a 100% person team taking emails and answering tickets because our platform is not managed. So it's self-serve. And the amount of tickets we get, 15 a week, (laughs) and they're usually more technical oriented. So creating the path and the avenue for her to kind of like branch out of her area of expertise and become a sole owner of that group and represent it in the strategy, the vision, the responsibility on some of the core KPIs that we do at a senior level. She took it and she ran with it for about 18 months. Could I have done it sooner? Yes, but I was working with her on a couple of different soft skills that I I believe she needed so she can excel at this new level. It's not Mm -hmm. just getting there. It's setting her in a position so she can exceed the expectations at that point. I feel like that part is probably one of the most valuable pieces that I can offer her. And it's been rewarding for me because I see my reflection in my my work ethic through her, but she has all the intangibles I don't have. So like she's going to be a much better leader than I am. And I'm excited for that because now she's her path is clear. And it's up to her to kind of meet the expectation at each of those checkpoints. Mm -hmm. And as I listen to you describe that, Chris, obviously there is a lot of responsibility on the individual who you're guiding and and mentoring, right? Yeah. But at the same time, there's a lot of work for you to do as a leader to do the mentoring, to put your folks in a position to be able to move to the next level. It's, It's just not about you let me know if I'm wrong, but it's not just about opening the door for someone, right? There's other work and intangibles that go into that to be a great leader. Yeah, 100%. And it takes a lot of time. Yeah. I would say one of the hardest pieces for me personally in moving into senior leadership and now at the C-level was I wasn't given any time. Like my leadership was, they trusted me 
But that trust is helpful to a certain point when you're kind of like fluttering in the middle of the ocean sometimes. And that's the type of part where I've personally taken vested interest my entire career, but even more so now to go outside even of my, my network right now. You know, we founded three weeks ago now an angel fund called CS Angels, and it's looking at minority groups that are trying to create technology startups for the customer success sector. And they come and pitch us and then we fund like their seed round. Mm. These are the type of things that I'm more invested in. And I'm doing this in my own time. So I'm doing double the work. You know, I have my regular job. I have mentorship within my regular job. I just became an executive coach for a mentorship program in, in the CS sector under Catalyst. And I'll, I'll be mentoring VPs and SVPs as they continue to scale and grow over the course of the next three months. These are things that I'm doing to put more responsibility on my shoulders so I can help build the future of this industry. I don't like the accolades. I, if you look at my LinkedIn, I'm posting stuff about my team this entire month of women's history, like I'm posting, I'm highlighting a specific talent that I've been exposed to, either a leader who I had. My first ever manager was a female leader, and I still talk to her today, was in the, a completely different industry, and she's a rock star. She's one of the reasons why like, I'm the style of leader I am today, because yeah. she was compassionate, and she was a catalyst for people kind of going outside of their comfort zone. And th those are the type of things that I want folks to remember me for, yeah. less to get like awards and stuff like that. Gotcha. Can you share with everyone, what, what are some important soft skills to have and some important sort of hard skills to sort of have? The hard skills depends on the role, but I'll start with the soft skills. So I think communication is such a valuable component as you move up in your career. The clarity, the succinctness of which you provide feedback and just general guidance to a customer and internal constituent becomes even more and more important because the time that you have with senior leaders is very limited. So if you send a diatribe as an email and it takes the person 18 minutes to read it, and then at the end of the day, the last sentence is a point that you want to make, how do we kind of condense that? And those are things that you learn as you get more experience. So I think the hard skills help that soft skill. Mm -hmm. But communication, I know it sounds like, oh, this is not anything earth shattering, but I've seen it work in the benefit of folks moving fast up their career because they're clear and concise. And then the other soft skills that I think are important, and I said this in the beginning, where like folks who are agile, meaning like they can shift on a moment's notice strategy approach and change doesn't fluster them that much is such an excellent skill to have. I will tell you as an operator, having been an operator in strategy for years and seeing the business shift, pricing, yield strategy shift on the drop of a dime, um, it gives you the flexibility at this point right now where, you know, we're seeing headwinds from anywhere. SVB over the weekend, you know, folks in this room may have some level of impact because of that. I'm like, what do you do? Do you sit and just mope or do you focus on like, how do I quickly pivot my strategy and ensure that, A, I'm not over leveraged, I have a better strategy approach, I'm diversifying my risk. And you do that in your day-to-day -day business as publishers yeah. too. I come from the publisher world and I understand from the moment I was there, it was consistent headwinds, yeah. right? And it's always something. And I feel like the talent in this room is one of the best talent that can fit almost any style of business because yeah. they're used to the agile nature. And it's a skill set that you can't train. People either have it in them or it's something that they get exposed to and they unlock. You've talked about the importance of mentorship as a leader, right? Can you talk to us a little bit about mentorship in leadership and why it's so important? I believe there's a path 
for folks to have an open dialogue and communication with people who are in the positions that you want to be in. You'd be surprised how many times I've reached out to other chief customer officers three, four years ago. And for me, the, and I'll tell you fully honest, the goal was to understand like what is different in them than it is in my specific experience. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't that much difference. So the validation was already there. It's mm-hmm. like, there's something preventing me from breaking through that mold. But I learned a lot from aligning to certain mentors in the chief customer officer kind of setup. I would be remiss to tell everybody, you have to go outside of your comfort zone. Reach out to people. I'm like, people are actually open. I'm like, it's the craziest thing is like the amount of no's I got were probably like two out of like, a hundred outreaches mm-hmm. and folks, I was having coffee with folks, a virtual coffee during, you know, during the last couple of years, I come to these events and I meet with people and my goal is if I can be helpful to that person, that's my ultimate goal. And then for me, what I get value for is secondary. Mm-hmm. So building that reciprocity is important. It's such a good learning path. And I recommend everybody kind of figure out whatever time, you know, they have to do that. That's awesome. Chris, where do you draw inspiration from? <laughs> Uh, It's a loaded question. I would say the first is probably my mother. I am a mama's boy, but my mom is such an inspirational person, you know, for me. And my grandma, who's her mother, who just passed away a month ago, was the first female to graduate from accounting school in Dominican Republic. Mm. It's the top university. It's actually the first university in all the Americas. You can Google it. It's called La Was. And she was a principal chief operating officer for the biggest bank in the Dominican Republic for 20 years. First female to run a bank and just an inspirational person. That's to be As we're sort of getting a little bit towards the end here, I wanted to ask you just things you can pass on to anyone that's looking to sort of level up into a new leadership sort of position. What, what can you pass on to them that, that has been significant to you? I would say start figuring out with clarity, like what your areas of weaknesses are. Everybody tells you, or you hear this in, in, in certain instances, a great leader hires their weaknesses, but a great leader understands their weaknesses very early. And that's not something that you, sometimes you can't overcome it. I'm like, if you aren't strategically analytical, that's not something that you should force on yourself. You should create the supplement to that within your organization. So you have a very good balance because what you can offer them is the strategic guidance, the operational acumen, if those are your areas of strengths. And I feel like it's even more so on the technical side because you have organizations like AdOps who are evolving into revenue operations and just core system strategy. Mm-hmm. You have folks on these teams that are some of the most brilliant minds I've ever met in my life. I have two CSMs that were former AdOps and strategy folks. They were performance ops people and they are absolutely killing it in this function. Amazing. And it's because they were, they're customer people at the core. Right. They want to secure the bag. They want to ensure that that bag continues to be filled and the customers are, are delighted in the experience. And you can see that transition and how, how easy it was for them. Mm-hmm. And then how do we continue to create that dynamic and provide that? So I, finding that weakness that you have and understanding it early will create an opportunity for you to build the right team structure and strategy. That's great. All right, fun question for you. Yeah. What's in your music rotation these days? Oh, my. <laughs> you know what's crazy? I, and I'm like, n- do not mean to offend anybody. I am a huge hip-hop guy, and I've tried the mumble rap a lot. <laughs> I'm, I've tried. I'm a, I'm a big, like, 21 Savage and all that stuff. But I'm like, I consistently have my old-school hip-hop as yeah. my top 100 
Talib Kweli, I was listening to this morning. Mm. I'm a big, I'm DJ a big, yeah, 90s hip hop guy because I grew up in that frame. Yeah. And I'm not trying to be like my dad where it's like, oh, the best rap was back then. <laughs> but it's a different style of rap. <laughs> I feel like it's a lyricist component to the rap game that is lost now. But the beats, I love the beats. Yeah. I love the beats. I'm a big beats guy too. So like, I love the new age rap where like you do have some lyricists out there that are very, very tongue in cheek. And but there doesn't I, have to be a trade off. Yeah. The trade-off. But, but I, I don't get me wrong. I, I'm a big uh, rap fan, so I'll listen to 21 and a bunch of other guys. But right now, my rotation is like recently Wu Tang, Talib Kweli, right. Tribe Called Quest. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> this, this year is hip hop's 50th anniversary, so yeah. nothing wrong with those names. Exactly. Yeah. Excellent. Well, Chris, thanks for hanging out with us. It's been a pleasure, a lot of fun, and a lot learned. You know, a lot of times, you know, our listeners and, and viewers like to stay in touch. What's a good way that they can connect with you or, or reach out? Yeah. Find me on LinkedIn first, Chris Contreras. I think it's actually linkedin.com slash Chris Contreras. Or email me. Email me on my email. It's chris at mountain, M-O-U-N-T-A-I-N.com. I'm happy to connect with anybody, not only in this room, on the podcast. Extending an olive branch is, is my thing. So awesome. whatever everybody needs, reach out. Excellent. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening and watching another episode. We're, we're excited to, to also do this live with our friends and our partners at Ad Monsters. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you.